Welcome to the Boulder Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Davis. Week two of our coronavirus coverage begins with this interview with Rachel Sharp, a CU senior studying Engineering Plus and an engineer at CU's Integrated Teaching and Learning Lab. Rachel is managing 16 3D printers, cranking out masks for healthcare workers, part of the Make for COVID initiative. I spoke with Rachel via Zoom on Friday, March 27th. For starters, tell us what you do at, at CU. At CU Boulder, I'm a senior finishing up an Engineering Plus degree. But what I'm doing part-time is I'm transitioning into a full-time engineering role at the Integrated Teaching and Learning Laboratory. And so my responsibilities there include managing all of our 3D printers, as well as our material test equipment. What were you working on before the pandemic hit? Before the pandemic hit, I mean, we, we went remote about, I think it was Friday the 13th, we all went remote. And so what I started working on was working with instructors on how to make their hands-on courses work in a remote way. So I was making slides on how to use Slack and finding softwares where you could learn electronics and mechanical design work. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I was working on before this. Okay. And what are you working on now? This past weekend on Saturday, I got an email from my boss and he asked me to hop online. And I hopped on this Zoom call with a bunch of folks from Onshoots, including makers and other universities and two ICU doctors. And so they started talking about these face shields that makers in our community were developing for hospitals as protective equipment. And so they asked our university, we have 16 3D printers, if we could become a part of this face shield project. And so since Saturday, we've been working on getting our 3D printers up and running and printing face shields for local hospitals in Boulder, in Denver, and really across the front range. So this conversation happened on Saturday, the mm -hmm. 21st. Mm-hmm. And today is Friday, March 27th. And where are you now? So what was pretty crazy was when we first started talking about this project on Saturday, there were a lot of questions as to whether we would get clearance from the university to do this. There's no one currently on campus and anyone that is there is an essential worker. So when we got word that we were asked to do this on Saturday, we had no idea whether we'd be able to do this. So what I did was I just started, I had a Lulzbot printer at my house for repairs and I just started printing these shields and getting settings tweaked and proper for the printer just in case. And then on Monday, we got word from legal from CU Boulder and all of these labs on campus, including ours, the Idea Forge and the Sync got clearance to have people on campus to start printing these shields. So, on Monday, I ended up going in there and I had to, you know, disinfect the lab, rearrange everything and get it prepared. And so we pretty much started operations on Tuesday and collectively our labs have printed over a hundred shields now that are already in use at local hospitals. So that's where we are at now. Wow. Um, before we get too far into it, can you explain briefly and for kindergartners how 3D printing works? Sure. So the way 3D printing works is it's essentially a process where 
something called filament, which is your material, is melted onto a bed that is heated and it prints layer by layer by layer. It builds up 2D structures into 3D structures. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yes, yeah, sort of. So what, what is the material that you're using for this? So the material that we're using is it's something called PLA and it's a thermoplastic that when heated melts. And so when that plastic is heated, it will basically melt and cool onto a bed. And that's the way that it can build layer after layer after layer to go from this 2D to 3D structure. So you have to get, I guess, some kind of specific 3D printer design to put into it to tell it what to print. Exactly. So you might design it in a software, this three-dimensional object. And then what the printer will do is it puts it into something called a G-code and it finds its X, Y, Z coordinates for each layer it's going to build up. Who made the design for these masks? There's a company called Prusa and Prusa has a bunch of 3D printers that it manufactures for makers. And so engineers at Prusa started designing these face shields and they put them out to the community. So we're getting the designs from Prusa. Okay. So you started printing on Tuesday. It's mm -hmm. now Friday, so about three and a half days, and you've printed about 100 masks so far. Are all 16 printers printing the same thing? We have uh, half of our printers printing a larger version of the face shield and the other half printing a smaller version of this face shield, and that's just limited by the build volume of each printer. How many masks can you print at a time? For our larger Lulzbot printers, those are called TAS-6s, we can print two masks at a time. And for our smaller printers, we can print one. But what's pretty cool is the engineers at Prusa are continuing to put out iterations of this mask. So as they make it better, we check that website and we start printing with the new and improved version of that mask. And so recently they put together a stacked version where you can print four masks stacked up on top of each other, which is pretty cool. And so how long does it take to print a mask? A mask will take about three and a half hours for the larger version and two hours for the smaller version. You said earlier that these masks are going to the Anschutz Medical Center. Are they going anywhere else? These masks are also going to, they're going to hospitals all across the front range, but one that they just recently got delivered to was Presbyterian St. Luke's Hospital. And so they were apparently super grateful for our efforts. And I think hospitals are already using these. Is there an exchange of money happening here? Or this is just you guys cranking out masks and getting them out to the people who need them and money's not a concern? Or is that part of it also? There's two parts to the mask. There is this band that we're printing on the 3D printers. And then there's a laser cut pet sheet. And so there are companies that are printing thousands of these pet sheets that fit onto the bands that we're creating. And so those companies are getting funding to do that. But our university is doing this for free at the moment. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of extra filament, so we've been able to do that, luckily, and we have a budget. So, yeah. So this is, I believe, part of a larger initiative that you told me about called Make for covid Make the number four COVID. Is that correct that you're part of that? That's correct. Tell us about Make for COVID. I'm not exactly sure who the initiative was started by. However, I know there's an initiative in Colorado that was launched. And so essentially 
My understanding of Make for COVID is it's, it's an initiative where the community of Colorado, a bunch of engineers, designers, researchers are coming together to produce a whole collection of protective equipment for doctors and for nurses that are quickly running out of it. So they're designing things like face shields and 95 masks, papper hoods, ventilator splitters, all sorts of things in addition to our face shields. And what they're doing is collecting folks in the local community that can test these, that can print these and can produce these. And so it's really an initiative to collect makers to be able to fulfill the needs that we're currently missing in the community. What percentage of the people part of this are students? I'm not 100% sure. I think of the efforts at CU, I would guess that it's, you know, 70% professors and researchers and 30% undergraduate, graduate students supporting those professors and researchers. And right now, where you are, it's just you and your sister working on this this big, huge, empty lab that I've seen you walk around in as we were leading up to this discussion. But it's just the two of you there. Yeah, so currently at CU, it's just going to be, well, at the Integrated Teaching and Learning Laboratory, it's just going to be my sister and I because each person that comes into the lab can introduce something kind of different. And so it's a safety, as a safety precaution, they're wanting really only one person in there. I'm just lucky and I'm identical twins so that she can come in and help me. (laughs) Um, So, but I imagine you're in touch with other teams around the state and maybe even a wider area than that about what they're doing, or you guys just kind of on your own and just getting these masks out. You're, you're correct. We're actually, there's another lab that's pretty close to us. It's called the idea forge. It's also a hands-on design lab for engineers And there's another guy over there named Byron, and he's printing face shields as well. And if you've ever run 3D printers, they are by no means perfect. So I will be here just nonstop fixing printers and failures of printers. And so is he. So what we'll do is we're we're figuring out the optimal settings for our printer. So what we'll do is every day we'll have a phone call and we'll be like, what worked for you? And Mm -hmm. so we'll insights of the tips and tricks and the things that we've tried that day. And it's, it's really helped us get both of our operations working more optimally. Are you pretty much living at the lab? Pretty much. You know, I, I go to bed. I was joking around with Lauren last night. You go to bed and all you hear is the sound of 3D printers and all you see is 3D printers when you close your eyes. So, yeah. Are you yeah. dreaming about 3D printers yet or dreaming in 3D? I I really am. Yeah. I keep having these revelations just like as I'm walking home, as I'm eating dinner. Oh, wait, maybe I'll try this on the printer tomorrow. Or maybe it's like a puzzle trying to figure out how to make this all work and and run efficiently. (laughs) Right. Clearly, you're feeling a sense of urgency around combating this pandemic. But the media paints a different story of people your age. What's... uh, What's happening in your circles? Like, are people concerned or people like, whatever, it's a boomer remover, I'm gonna do whatever I want anyway, or what's the word yeah. on the street with the kids these days? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because my twin sister and I have had that conversation a lot as we're walking home. And, you know, last weekend, you saw a lot of students out partying on St. Patty's Day. And I totally understand the frustration around our generation. I think it took a lot more time for it to set in for people my age. But I will say, 
You know, within our social circles, I've seen just the opposite of what you see in the news. Like, uh, for example, my twin sister is also working with a collection of entrepreneurs and engineers on an initiative to connect college students in the community for support with everyday things with social isolation, you know, of course, from a distance. And so what I'm hearing about is all these initiatives and all these students, you know, hearing about what I'm doing and asking how they can help and how they can get involved. I even have a friend who is driving food down to reservations because people are already out of food. So as much as our generation, it seems like most of us are just partying. Those are the stories that make the news. You know, it's not the ones of all of us really trying to to do something good for our community. <laughs> uh, that's very reassuring to hear. What would it take to ramp up your efforts even more to allow you to print even more masks? Uh, I'm, I'm limited by what I have and what I'm doing here, but what I think is pretty cool about even the face shield effort is that in addition to all of our labs printing masks, we also have other you know, researchers. For example, there's a professor named Francois who's a mechanical engineering professor. And right now I'm printing him on my high definition printers, face shields that he's going to try to make molds out of in special materials that are FDA approved. And that process, if you get a mold made, you can make quite a few more of these. So what's really cool about this effort is we have all these people doing what we can until we get solutions that are maybe more long-term and that can ramp up productions unlike our lab that has, you know, used printers that take a couple hours for things to print. Are you mostly in touch with people from Colorado around this? Or is that where most of the effort is happening? Yeah, right now, everyone that I'm in contact and working with is at CU Boulder. And it's not just this professor I mentioned. There is a second professor that's also working on an N95 mask that I'm printing prototypes for. So there's a whole network of us at CU Boulder. It's a lot of people working on this and all thanks to uh, Mark Borden who got us all connected with Make for COVID. Are you aware of other similar efforts being undertaken at other universities in Colorado or across the country? I actually know that, for example, there's one at Red Rocks College going on. And so they're working on the ventilator splitters, which is pretty cool because then you can take, you have 50 ventilators, you make a ventilator splitter, you got 100 immediately. So it's not just more ventilators, it's smart things like that. So I know Red Rocks College is working on that. So is CU Onshoots and CU Denver. So there are a bunch of folks across Colorado that I'm aware of, but not of any universities in other states, but I would imagine people are rallying in the same way we are. What kind of support would be most helpful to you right now? I think what support would be useful and something that's good to talk about here is I don't know all the details on Make for COVID, so sorry if I got any of those facts wrong. But what I do know is that on all the calls that we've had, there's really been an effort with Make for COVID to make sure that makers have a place to go if they want to help. And so what I'd say is it's best if folks get on their website, makeforcovid.co, and What you can do is you can put information about what resources you have around you and they will point you to how you can help. And so the one thing they don't want people doing is just walking down to their hospitals and handing things to them. We don't want more people there. What they want is to get everybody collected on this effort. So go to the Make for COVID website and they'll help collect your things and get them to a hospital in a way that is safe and good for our networks. 
That was going to be my next question. How can people get involved? There you go. <laughs> go to makeforcovid.co and reach out. It feels like we're in a, you know, we're certainly in a very going through a very slow moving moment in history right now. And it seems pretty clear that things after this are going to be somehow different than the way things were before. Have you thought about that at all and thought about what you might expect to see or would like to see coming out of this? I think you're right in a sense that it's like you get this sense that things are really starting to set in, that things are going to be different. And we really don't know how long we're going to be in this situation. And so I think one good thing that is coming out of this is a couple of things. I think we'll learn how to work better as a community because we have to. I think walls are starting to come down for people. You know, you're having all these Zoom chats with people in their home and their kids. And I think there's this whole thing going across where we all have these faces we put on everywhere we go. And uh, when you're on a Zoom call in the middle of your house and your kid's nagging on you, you see the reality of what people's lives are really like. And so I think it's actually breaking down social barriers for people and kind of humanizing us all. So I hope that it builds more empathy. And I think finally, it's teaching us all how to work better remotely. And I think the ability to connect across communities and to find out how we can work despite all the barriers and boundaries we have going on right now is a really cool skill for the building more, you know, resilient communities. So I guess that's my hope for it. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add? Anything I missed? Well, I just want to give a shout out to uh, my twin sister, Lauren, who's helping me out over here. You know, it's a uh, hard work, what we're doing, but getting to do it together has been really fun. And I'm just appreciative of, to have her with me. So, yeah. All right. Well, Rachel Sharp and your twin sister, Lauren, uh, <laughs> thank you very much for your efforts. Thanks for your time today. And keep printing. Of course. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. That was CU Engineering Plus student, Rachel Sharp. Learn more about how she and other Coloradans are mobilizing to fight the coronavirus at makeforcovid.co. That's make, the number four, covid.co. The Boulder Tech Podcast is made possible in part by Glider, a Colorado-based community movement and nonprofit that produces Boulder's Ignite and TEDx events as well as Boulder Startup Week. Learn more and consider a donation at Glider.com. The Boulder Tech Podcast is produced by me, Joel Davis. Your feedback, criticisms, and comments are welcome. And again, if you or your company or organization have switched your focus to helping solve the many problems arising from the coronavirus pandemic, and you'd like to come on the podcast to talk about it, reach me at joel at dojo4.com or DM me on Twitter at Boulder TechCast. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. Wash your hands. Maintain that physical distancing. And we'll see you back here for the next episode of the Boulder Tech Podcast.